there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, we are returning to Harry Potter, but also we are starting... An interesting little thing we're doing this this month. We're doing sequel month. Yeah. All sequels all the time. And we are starting off, of course, with Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Yes. We figured February, the second month, makes sense to do sequels, the yeah. second movie. Exactly. <laughs> Aren't we clever? Ha! Huh. So we watched Chamber of Secrets, released in 2002. Scott, right off the bat, what did you think about this movie in comparison to the first? I thought it's, it's still a good movie. I still think they're growing into their characters. Hermione, I feel like, had less to do in this movie. She did because she was petrified for half of it. Well, not half of it, but a good chunk of a it. A good chunk of it. <laughs> and the other chunk, she was a cat. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell that it's progressively, as the movies go on, getting darker. This isn't completely dark, dark, but it, it definitely is getting darker yes. as the series goes on. Uh, you can tell by the score. You can tell by just the cinematography. It's definitely a little more grown up. And it makes sense because now our, our heroic trio of Ron, Harry, and Hermione are all of 12 years old. <laughs> so, <laughs> makes sense their excursions are ever more dangerous. Directed by Chris Columbus, who again returned to direct the second film, along with the writer Steve Close. And this is one of the two Harry Potter films that was not nominated for an Oscar. I feel like this one more than the first gets somewhat of a bad rap really i was looking online it seems like this one has the most like of a mixed bag of reviews probably because this one you can feel the transition starting well yeah i mean from the word go because the second you see harry and he starts talking you're like whoa <laughs> his voice like totally lowered which i mean you know puberty and all but despite the fact that maybe this is, does have a mixed bag, I never noticed that, really. I, I always thought it was more like four and five that was the mixed bag. But this movie still was very well received in the time it came out. It was the second highest grossing film of 2002 behind The Two Towers. And at the time, it was the third in a list of biggest box office openings behind Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and, of course, Sorcerer's Stone. But another thing that's interesting about this movie in particular is that it's got a very healthy mix of practical effects and computer generation. <laughs> yeah, and some of the CGI looks good, and mm. it's some mm. very few of it, but some of it does look forgivable. Forgivable's a better word. Okay, yeah, no, forgivable's fine. Nothing looks like it's there, let's oh, put no, it that no, no, way. no, 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 no. One of the best additions, I think, to the franchise is in this movie with Dobby the house elf. And, um, oh, Dobby. Oh, my God. Dobby looks crazy. <laughs> Dobby is one of those weird things. That, like, he's ugly and cute at the same time. <laughs> I forgot how much Dobby annoyed the living shit out of I me. I always loved Dobby. I'm not going to lie. Even, even when I read the book, he annoyed me. No. 
I mean, he's supposed to be kind of annoying, but he's also supposed to be like comedic effects, you know, literal comedic effect because he is quite the effect. <laughs> All right. So I'm excited to talk about this. So, so let's just jump right in, shall we? Okay, let's do it. So, of course, we start off where we do pretty much every movie at the Dursley residence. Which they're not better. Oh, no, they've improved a great deal, Scott. They've given Harry his own bedroom. (laughs) Well, I think that's own because clearly Harry has grown at least a foot. Well, yeah. Well, in the book, (laughs) they established that they only gave him Dudley's quote-unquote spare bedroom. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Dudley has a spare? Dudley has a spare bedroom where he keeps all of his toys and stuff. He has so much stuff that he needs a whole room for it. And they give Harry the room because they're afraid that he's going to use magic on them. They don't know that he can't use magic outside of school. Oh, okay. I was just thinking, he grew a foot. He's not going to fit under the stairs anymore. I don't really think they would have (laughs) cared. So we're at the Dursleys over summer break. And the Dursleys are preparing for a fancy dinner party with their fancy friends. Harry goes off into his bedroom and lo and behold, there's a little house elf on his bed named Dummy. And right off the bat, like we said, it it doesn't look good. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. But Dummy is... Some people find Yoda's voice like grating in the way Yoda talks. Dummy's kind of the same way. I don't... I mean, I can, I can see that if you feel that way. But I personally don't. Dobby is voiced by Toby Jones, who's done a lot of different roles over the years. He's a relatively well-known character actor. Fun fact, our boy Dobby was nominated for a Stinker's Bad Movie Award for most annoying non-human character. I'm sure that, that was a broad category. Oh, well, he was nominated among the greats, such as Jar Jar Binks. Oh, yeah, I've got Attack of the Clones. <laughs> and imagine a world where both of those characters lose. <laughs> Who won? Scrappy from the Scooby-Doo movie. Correction, the new improved Scrappy, because I, Scrappy Dappy Doo, have absorbed enough energy to rule the world with my all-powerful army. <laughs> oh. Isn't that sad? Oh my god, it's so uh, funny. Oh god, they, I, I hate the, what they did to Scrappy in the Scooby-Doo movie. So Dobby is there in Harry's room to warn him away from Hogwarts. You can't go back to school, Harry Potter. It is dangerous. Especially Harry- since you have no friends there since they've have they've never sent you any mail. Yeah, and Harry's like, wait, how do you know that my friends have been writing to me? Apparently, Dobby intercepted all of Harry's mail. I think that's mail fraud. Dobby's committing is. mail fraud. Dobby is Dobby <laughs> has committed many a crime in this in this movie, but it's forgiven because he's a cute little elf. Um, <laughs> cutish little elf. <laughs> so he intercepted his mail to try and make Harry think that his friends don't care about him, and then maybe he wouldn't want to go back to school. So. Harry's like, listen, I'm not about this life. I'm going back to school. I want to go back to Hogwarts where everyone thinks I'm cool. He ends up chasing Dobby through the house, making all like a whole ruckus. He chases him into the living room where the Dursleys are, and he's trying to keep Dobby quiet. And then Dobby sees this big old fluffy 
icing covered cake in the kitchen and he lifts it up with magic and hovers it over the Dursley's guest. Yeah, and and he's like, "Promise me you won't go back to Hogwarts." And Harry's like, "No, I'm going back. Fuck you." And I was like, I said to Scott, he could have lied very easily. I mean, like, okay, weird elf person, I won't go back. Whatever, I he, promise. He's too good. He's he the is. hero. Heroes don't lie, Frankie. We can't teach the children that it's okay to lie. And Dobby's like, okay, it's, this is for your own good. And he snaps his fingers and the cake falls right on the guest's head. And the Dursleys are fucking pissed. Fucking Uncle Vernon locks him in his room, puts bars on his windows and shit. And this is the thing I never really understood. He's like, you're never going back to that school. Why? Why wouldn't you want him to go? Because if he goes and goes to his fucking magic school, he's out of the house and out of your hair. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So Harry is all forlorn and sad sitting up in his room. Harry looks outside. Lo and behold, it's a flying car driven by none other than Ron, Fred, and George Weasley. The Weasleys have come to break Harry out. Yay! They basically break the bars off the windows. Just narrowly get Harry out of there before Vernon can grab him and they're off. And Vernon also falls out the window. But But who gives a shit about that? They go to the Weasley's house. We meet pretty much the rest of the Weasley clan. First person we see is Mrs. Weasley, played by Julie Walters. She enters with quite a flourish. She just barges in the room and she's like, Where have you been? She's pissed because they took out the flying car. And Ron's like, but mom, they were starving and they had bars on his windows. And she's like, well, you better hope I don't put bars on your fucking window. And then we meet Mr. Weasley, played by Mark Williams. And we meet Ginny Weasley, who's starting her first year at Hogwarts. And she's played by Bonnie Wright. And the second she sees Harry, she is stunned silent because she has a big old crush on him. The kids all get their... Hogwarts letters and they're like okay we have to go to Diagon Alley to get our supplies so the whole crew goes to Diagon Alley they meet up with Hermione over there and they end up in this bookshop where there's this book signing going on a book signing for Mr. Gilderoy Lockhart's autobiography (laughs) and Gilderoy Lockhart is played by the one the only Kenneth Branagh Oh my god, he does so good in this, I love him. It's very funny, because he's always like the Shakespearean hero. Yes. And it's weird seeing him as the charlatan. Yeah, we basically get introduced to this character, Gilderoy Lockhart, and he is a narcissist. He just talks endlessly about all of this stuff that he's done, all these magical duels and creatures that he's fought, and it's, you know... You could it's say, a whole bunch of horse shit is what it is. His, <laughs> but all, his, the, all the ladies swoon over him. I was going to make a bit of a joke. He talks about his magical mystery tour. Ah, yes. Gilderoy Lockhart sees Harry Potter across the room and he grabs him and he pulls him in for a picture for the newspaper because you know two famous people means you're more famous than as just one famous person also in the scene just because i thought it was a very funny little throwaway gag mrs weasley 
is in love with this man. Oh, yeah. She's got the hots for him. This man is on her list. Oh, for sure. Yeah. She's definitely got a hall pass for Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> so later on in the bookstore, we see our good friend Draco Malfoy once again. He's giving Harry shit. And little Ginny pipes up and defends him. He's like, leave him alone. All of a sudden, Draco's father comes into the picture to kind of quell the fight. His name is Lucius Malfoy, and he's played by Jason Isaacs. And Jason Isaacs does a fucking amazing job as this character. He's he's great. He really got into this. And it's it's cool because characters like this with Lucius Malfoy, they're just so evil. They're just like dripping with it. And you can really have fun with that character. Like, for example, even the aesthetic of his character, Jason Isaacs came up with like the long blonde hair and the fucking evil cane thing all the best villains have a fucking cane for some reason with like a little emblem on top of it it's very evil well we love it well the thing is yes you can really bite into a villain character like this Mm -hmm. but it's also very easy to make a character like this cartoony yes i felt like in a lesser actor's hands this would have been very cartoony yes definitely but i agree he played it so well that he brings the sense of menace anytime he's on screen. So, yeah, Lucius comes into this confrontation and he at first is trying to like stop the fighting, but then he ends up kind of being just as antagonistic as Draco, shock of all shocks. He's making fun of the Weasleys for being poor and he's making fun of Hermione for having muggle parents. Yeah, he throws the poor thing, especially at Arthur Weasley who yes. is a government worker. And right. Well, we need to mention, yeah, Mr. Weasley, Ron's dad, Arthur, he works for the Ministry of Magic and he works with muggles. So in Lucius's eyes, he's like sullying, yeah, he's sullying the good name of wizards. Though, side note, they keep talking about raids and I don't know why. I want to know what they're raiding. But well, that's a whole other... The, the thing is with what Arthur Weasley does is he works with muggle artifacts so if magical objects somehow end up in let's say like a muggle antique shop or something ah that's probably what they meant by raids oh okay that makes sense i wish that was explained better in the movie yeah i mean it's kind of like a throwaway thing only you would pick up on that like what do you mean raids what does that mean nobody cares i care i liked arthur i do like i want to know what he was doing Anywho, so after this confrontation with Malfoy, the Weasleys, along with Harry, they all go to Platform 9 and 3 quarters to go off to Hogwarts. And everybody goes through the platform, including Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, because they're helping Ginny, because it's her first year, you know, so they're helping her on the train. Ron and Harry go to enter through the portal, and it's blocked. And... For some reason, Ron has the incredibly stupid idea. (laughs) Little 12-year-old Ron Weasley is like, hey, let's just go take my parents' flying car. I don't know how he thought he was going to get away with that. He's 12. If a normal, non-magical 12-year-old steals a car, they're going to be in a whole heap of trouble. (laughs) Not not to mention, when his parents eventually do get out and go back to their car. <laughs> See, it's gone. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> but yeah, Ron and Harry 
take the flying car, fly it in the air, and Harry's like, um, we should probably make it invisible. Like, people can't see a flying car. <laughs> so he makes the car invisible for at least for a while until the invisibility thing craps out on the car. They end up following the train in their flying car towards Hogwarts. But somehow they get all turned around and they get stuck in a Whomping Willow, which is essentially a big-ass, scary, angry tree. <laughs> that wants to kill you. Yeah. It ends up fucking up the car pretty good. It uh, also fucks up Ron's wand pretty good, which is something to keep in mind because the rest of the movie, Ron is plagued by this fucked-up wand. <laughs> which I kept going to Frankie. I'm like, Frankie, Harry's rich. Yes. Why didn't he just buy Ron a new wand? Yeah, it's it's established that like he can't afford a new wand because poor, but his best friend is Harry Potter. So like he could probably spot him a few bucks and buy him a new wand. But after the car gets free from the Whomping Willow, the magical car promptly kicks their asses out. <laughs> well, because it's pissed. And drives off into the Forbidden Forest. The boys are just like, all right, let's just fucking get our shit and go to the school already. Like, hopefully we could just sneak in there and not be noticed. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Run right into Filch. Dumbledore comes in, played once again by Richard Harris. And he essentially says, well, since Professor McGonagall is the head of Gryffindor House, she can decide what his their punishment is. And she's like, I'm not going to expel you. I could, but I won't. I'll be nice, but I'm going to give you a shit ton of detention. And, and also, like, okay. 50 points from Gryffindor. I mean, we've already established in the last Harry Potter movie that the point system is pretty fucking useless and stupid anyway. So who cares? But I do want to mention Dumbledore in this movie in particular because unfortunately, this was Richard Harris's last film as Dumbledore he sadly passed away a few weeks before this film was released and when we go to the next movie and we discuss Dumbledore's replacement we can discuss this in greater detail but I personally I've always been partial to Richard Harris's interpretation of Dumbledore mostly because at least it seems like his interpretation was informed by the actual source material whereas his successor was not really at all <laughs> But yeah, it just kind of made me sad watching this because I knew like this was it for him. Anytime you kind of see an actor's last role in general, you're kind of like, fuck, man. Especially if they're talented. Yeah, definitely. So now we're, we're at Hogwarts. We're in a magical place. And we get the first hint of foreshadowing in this movie. There's so much foreshadowing in this goddamn movie. We get herbology class with Professor Sprout. She's showing the kids these creatures called mandrakes. And essentially what they are is these plant-type creatures that are kind of like babies. And they cry really, really loudly. They have to wear earmuffs because if they hear their cries with the naked ear it could kill them instantly well yes adult mandrakes will kill you but these are still baby mandrakes so they would only just knock you out for a few hours yes 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 as professor sprout is talking about these creatures she mentions that they can be used medicinally to heal people from being petrified wink wink keep that in mind kids it'll be important for later 
we also get introduced to another first year kid named Colin Creevy, who is just annoying as fuck and who's obsessed with Harry Potter and is taking pictures all the time and he's not really a, a developed character at all he's kind of just a side character that is thrown in there to be annoying to Harry yeah I was sitting there and I'm like okay so I've watched the third and fourth one I don't remember him in that does he come back does he matter yeah I don't think he does I think he shows up in the books once in a while maybe from what I remember but like as far as being important to the plot no but yeah we get another class our Defense Against the Dark Arts class, taught by none other than Gilderoy Lockhart. And he just shows himself to be even more of a narcissistic fuck-up in the scene. Hogwarts needs to have a better vetting process for this fucking Defense Against the Dark Arts class. They yes, really do. That is definitely true. We have a new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher every goddamn year. <laughs> you think they learn, but they really don't. In this scene, Gilderoy is just talking in great flourishes and being really obnoxious. And what I found interesting, I didn't mention it before, but I found two other actors who were tapped to potentially take on this role. And they were um, Hugh Grant and Alan Cumming. (laughs) Alan Cumming, I like, actually. Alan Cumming would be great, but I just love how, like, we were looking for a type here yeah. a foppish british gentleman <laughs> yes yeah so in this scene gilderoy comes down it's like in defense against the dark arts class you will face your greatest fears and he whips up a mat off this bird cage and it's a cage full of blue pixies which while- terribly cgi animated <laughs> blue pixies which while they're in the cage don't look terrible because they're like so tiny and little, yeah. But then you look at them when they get out and they're flying around. And you're just yeah. like, ew. And Gilderoy goes, let's see what you make of them. And then he just lets them go in the class and they're wreaking havoc. Yeah, if you know anything about pixies from any type of folklore, pixies wreak havoc everywhere. They pick up Neville and hang him from the ceiling. They take Gilderoy's wand away. They chase everybody out of the room except for, of course, our three main heroes. And uh, Gilderoy goes, oh, yeah, you guys can handle this. And, of course, Hermione freezes them all in midair. Because Hermione's the shit. <laughs> okay, so before we continue on with the main plot, <laughs> I want to mention this one scene with Ron. They're sitting in the Great Hall, all of the kids, and the mail comes, you know, because it's, it's mail time. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Come on. Bye, guys. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. And Ron gets a, a particularly concerning parcel from home. And all the kids are like, oh, oh my God, Ron's got a howler. And uh, this scene is fucking hilarious. <laughs> and I, I was laughing because I still, I could like recite the whole speech. <laughs> basically a howler is a letter that is very angry (laughs) ron opens it up and it's just his mom screaming at him how dare you steal that car (laughs) your father's facing an inquiry at work and it's entirely your fault (laughs) if you put another toe out of line we'll bring you straight home oh and Ginny, dear (laughs) congratulations on getting in gryffindor (laughs) 
Of course, Ginny's like, uh, it's like it's hilarious, and then it just rips up into shreds. And Ron's like, "Well, I guess it's not a good time to ask for another wand." <laughs> so after that, we head out to Quidditch practice with the Gryffindor team led by Oliver Wood, and he's very, very hasty about winning the Quidditch Cup. He's like, "We must practice, practice, practice all the time." And then they go out on the field, and the Slytherin team has taken over the field. And they're like, oh, we have to train our new seeker, Draco Malfoy. (laughs) And also, just, you know, totally unrelated, but all the Slytherin teammates have brand spanking new broomsticks paid for by Lucius Malfoy himself. There's no relation to that and Draco getting on the team, though. (laughs) No, no, Draco totally earned it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he earned it rightfully. But Hermione, you know, being the just cold-hearted bitch she is, she, she goes up to Draco and it's like, At least no one on the Gryffindor team had to buy their way in. They got in on pure talent. No one asked your opinion, you filthy little mudblood. <gasps> and everyone's like, <gasps> And Ron uh, goes, you son of a bitch, and you <laughs> eat slugs, you motherfucker. <laughs> Yes, but when he does that, he tries to do a spell, and it backfires and whacks him back. And now Ron is the one who eats the slugs. <laughs> Harry and Hermione pick him up, and they take him to Hagrid to help him. And Hagrid, in all his wisdom, just gives Ron a bucket and is like, "Just have fun. You gotta wait. You gotta wait it out." <laughs> and then, of course, we find out what the mud blood is. Right. It's a it's a slur essentially for muggle-born wizards and this is really the first time we get real introduction to the racism allegory in the harry potter franchise the pure blood quote-unquote wizards some of them anyway are against the muggle-born wizards and want only pure-blooded wizards to be taught wizardry and i asked frankie this it's never really discussed in the books but how do they pick how do they pick like muggle-born kids that, for the thing? That's I've always wondered that too. I don't know if it's explained anywhere in like the fucking pantheon of lore that's come out about Harry Potter. I don't. I'm not really sure, but I would assume that it's something like they scout out really smart, gifted Muggle kids. Midichlorians. Perhaps. Who knows? <laughs> Perhaps Hermione took some kind of blood test and it got back to the. <laughs> to the wizardry i don't know it it doesn't matter really i mean i always was hoping to get my hogwarts letter in the mail someday (laughs) i'm 28 years old i'm still waiting for it one day okay so after this scene we cut to harry in detention but he's not just having any old boring detention he's having detention with gilderoy lockhart because gilderoy lockhart has lots of fan mail to answer and he needs Harry's help to do it. And while he's sitting there listening to fucking Lockhart drone on endlessly, he hears this creepy voice Kill. in his head. Yeah. Kill. And he looks around. And he's like, did you hear that to, to Lockhart? And he's like, hear what? What are you talking about? And then he leaves detention and he's walking back to the common room and he hears it again. He runs into Ron and Hermione and he asked them, like, did you do you hear that noise? Like, do you hear that voice? And they're like, what are you talking about? And he keeps following it. And 
Ron and Hermione chase after him and then lo and behold they come upon this hallway where there's water all over the floor and they look up and they see writing on the wall in blood and it says the chamber of secrets has been opened enemies of the air beware but not only is there writing in blood there is also a petrified cat hanging from the ceiling yes filch's cat mrs norris filch shows up and he's like you killed my cat harry potter i'll kill you and all the teachers show up and a bunch of kids and stuff and dumbledore is like don't worry, Filch, the cat isn't dead. It's just petrified. Professor Sprout has those mandrake roots. And as soon as they grow up old enough and can be used for the antidote, we will revive Mrs. Norris. Don't you worry. And Filch is like, Harry Potter did this. <laughs> I want punishment. But Harry, Ron and Hermione are like, no, 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 no. We didn't. We just, you know, wrong place, wrong time. Sorry. <laughs> and Dumbledore's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> looks a little bad for you not gonna lie but you know one time being in the wrong place wrong time eh, what are you gonna do it's that's okay we'll let it go for now one time you mean every time so far well it- we'll get this <laughs> just the first time <laughs> the next day uh a bunch of kids are in mcgonagall's transfiguration class and they ask her about the chamber of secrets so McGonagall explains that a thousand years ago when Hogwarts was first started with the four leaders of the houses, we had Godric Gryffindor, Rowena Ravenclaw, Helena Hufflepuff, and Salazar Slytherin. I am so impressed that I remembered all four oh, of those. S- Holy shit. Side note, why do they all have to be alliterations? Why because can't- it's a fucking children's book, Scott. Okay. Why can't it just be John Gryffindor? Why don't you just shut the fuck up? <laughs> so... Salazar Slytherin only wanted purebloods at the school and the other three were like no we're not about that racist shit so fuck you and Salazar Slytherin ended up leaving the school but there was a rumor swirling around that Salazar Slytherin had a secret chamber in the castle and he worked it so only his heir can open it that way down the line the heir of Slytherin can come in the school and continue his work of trying to purge the school of all the mudbloods and Hermione's like oh what's in the chamber that's you know so nefarious like what's what's so evil about it basically and McGonagall's like it's said to be the home of a monster she also said that they searched the school for years and years looking for this chamber but never found it which and later it becomes pretty obvious that they fucked up pretty royally here because they could have very easily figured out where it was (laughs) so immediately after this whole explanation ron harry and hermione are like draco's the heir of slytherin i know it and hermione's like "Mm, i don't know you know draco malfoy he's kind of a cuck like i don't think he's really (laughs) I don't think he's really doing anything that evil. No, it's red herring. <laughs> but, you know, they they, they want to figure it out. They want to get to the bottom of this. So our trio come up with the grand idea to make polyjuice potion, which essentially you take this potion and you turn into somebody else for an hour. And their plan is to turn into Draco Malfoy's little friends so they can infiltrate that little circle of evil and get the deeds. But unfortunately, this potion takes a month to concoct. 
it, it's a very complicated bit of magic and harry's like but hermione that's you know a lot can happen in a month bitch like we we got this we gotta do something now and she's like well we don't have any other plans so shut the fuck up and let me do what i do <laughs> like do you have an idea no then shut up so life goes on as normal then as they're concocting this potion for the next month. They have the first Quidditch game, Gryffindor versus Slytherin, and um, it looks just as bad as it did in the first movie. Yep. It's like a video game cutscene. <laughs> yep. But we notice while we're playing this Quidditch game that there's a rogue bludger on the loose and it's after Harry with a vengeance. Harry's bobbing and weaving and the bludger is flying through shit. Harry's also trying to catch the snitch while he's fighting off Draco. And Draco falls flat on his face. Yeah, the bludger ends up breaking Harry's arm, but somehow he still catches the snitch and he wins the fucking game because he's a fucking rock star. And the game is basically irrelevant. Yes, we, we've established our frustrations with Quidditch, Scott. <laughs> I will keep establishing my frustrations with this goddamn game. So Harry has his broken arm, and of course, who comes to save the day but Gilderoy Lockhart? He's like, I'm going to save you. And Harry's like, no, that's okay. I'm good. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 I got this. And he does a little hocus pocus, and he completely disappears all the bones in Harry's arm. <laughs> Which, even with magic, I'm like damn and it's so funny like the sound effect they use when his bone disappears and he picks up his arm and it's like squishy jello and it's just (laughs) it's yucky (laughs) so uh harry has to go to the hospital wing and drink all this nasty juice to get his bones to regrow (laughs) so at this point just to recap harry has been blocked from platform nine and three quarters he has been Almost killed by a fucking tree, almost expelled, and almost maimed by a bludger. So clearly, someone is out to get Harry, <laughs> or you know, someone does not want him around. And that someone just happens <laughs> to be Dobby. <laughs> Harry wakes up in the middle of the night while he's in the hospital wing because he hears that creepy voice again. But before he can go investigate it, he is... Uh, pretty much accosted by Dobby (laughs) and he's like hello in this scene Dobby's like Harry Potter should have listened to Dobby when he blocked the platform and got that bludger to try and get you and he's like wait what you did this to me you better clear off before my bones come back Dobby or I might strangle you Dobby is wearing like these ratty ass rags and Harry's like why do you wear that fucking thing it's disgusting (laughs) And Dobby's like, well, it's the mark of my enslavement. Us house elves are enslaved to a wizard family. And And we can only be freed if our master presents us with clothes. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. (laughs) Before Dobby leaves, he says to Harry that he, he needs to leave Hogwarts because history is going to repeat itself, meaning that the Chamber of Secrets has been opened before in the past. And (gasps) Harry's like, what do you mean? And before he can get any answers, Dobby disappears because there's a rumbling in the hospital wing. Someone's coming. And Harry pretends to be asleep, and he overhears Dumbledore and McGonagall come in with a petrified Colin Creevy. Holding his camera in his hands. I hope you got paid well, Colin. 
Dumbledore essentially says it's what we feared the most. The school is no longer safe. The Chamber of Secrets has indeed been opened again. After this, we cut to our trio, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, in this abandoned girl's bathroom working on the polyjuice potion. And Ron is like, why are we doing this in a girl's bathroom? And Hermione's like, well, no one ever comes in here, so we're safe. And he's like, why? Um, because of Moaning Myrtle. And then lo and behold, we see a ghost. <laughs> yes, Moaning Myrtle. Played by Shirley Henderson, who we also talked about during our Rise of Skywalker review because she voiced Babu Frick. And she was a whopping 37 years old at the time of filming. She's supposed to be playing a Hogwarts student who was obviously killed in the Hogwarts castle. And she's very sensitive and very annoying. I wouldn't expect you to know me. Who would ever talk about ugly, miserable, moping, moaning myrtle? You think Dobby's voice is annoying. Oh, no, no, no. Hers is really annoying. We cut to our next scene, which is the dueling club scene with Gilderoy Lockhart and Severus Snape running this little dueling club, all these kids. And um, essentially, this scene is just a reason to get Draco and Harry to face off against each other. We have to keep the fire burning. (laughs) So they're dueling and Draco does a spell that basically like throws a snake at Harry. <laughs> Gilderoy, of course, he's like, oh, I'll take care of it. We'll deal with that. And Gilderoy shoots a blast at the snake that pops the snake into yeah, the I air. Yeah, I don't know what he was trying to do, but it just <laughs> agitates the snake more because it pops it up in the air and slams it down on the ground. I don't, he's a fucking idiot. But anyway, um, the <laughs> snake is like, you know, running around being a snake. And Harry starts talking to the snake, but it comes out in like a weird kind of sound. It's very creepy, I got to admit. It's still like a creepy fucking scene. The snake turns to a random kid, gets ready to look like it's about to attack, and Harry keeps talking, and the snake turns to Harry. Right. So it has now stopped being vicious. Harry's still talking to it, and then Severus blows it up. So all the kids are like freaked out by this because Harry's fucking talking to snakes, and Harry's looking around like, why is everyone staring at me? He leaves with Ron and Hermione and they're like, dude, you never told us you could talk to snakes. And he's like, oh, I'm sure a lot of people here can do it. And they're like, no, dude, that was a thing that Salazar Slytherin did. They're going to think that you're the fucking heir of Slytherin now because no one else fucking does that. Like, that's creepy as fuck. To make matters worse, after all this happens, Harry's walking through the halls and he hears the voice again. This creepy voice. This is kill, kill, kill. And he, of course, stumbles upon another fucking nightmare scene. He finds nearly headless Nick, played by John Cleese, who was really only in this movie at all so he could be in this scene because this scene is integral to the plot. Otherwise, he's completely pointless. (laughs) But uh, nearly headless Nick is there and he's kind of sort of dead again, petrified. I don't know. Also, the kid that was being taunted by the snake, his name is Justin. He is also petrified in the hallway. And Harry goes up to them and is like, oh, my God. And Filch finds him and he's like, I got you this time, Potter. So he takes him to Dumbledore's office and he comes upon the sorting hat. Because 
now Harry's kind of confused about where he belongs and if he could potentially be Salazar Slytherin's great great grandson or something you know because he was alive a thousand years ago who fucking knows so he goes to the hat and he's like hey are you sure you do the right thing by putting me in Gryffindor and he's like I think you would have done really well in Slytherin and Harry's like no I don't think that's true at all and then Harry also comes upon a beautiful phoenix named Fox who is uh Dumbledore's little pet and just as Dumbledore comes into the room, Fox fucking bursts into flames. <laughs> oh, great. Another traumatic experience for Harry. And Dumbledore's like, oh, don't worry, Harry. He'll come right back to life. That's what phoenixes do. And then he comes back as a little baby phoenix. And it's like, oh, cute. But we have some more foreshadowing here because Dumbledore kind of shoehorns in a little bit of knowledge about phoenixes in case you wanted to know. He mentions that they can carry very heavy loads. And that their tears have healing powers. Wink, wink, everyone. Keep that in mind. Put then, that in your little pocket, in your little brain, now, and save it for later. Now, here's your head on the table, and here's the hammer that represents foreshadowing. <laughs> Whack! <laughs> but he basically, he tells Harry, listen, I don't believe that you attacked anyone, but like, are you okay? Like, is there anything you want to tell me? And Harry's like, nope, I'm good. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because Hermione said earlier, even in the wizarding world, hearing voices is not a good thing. Yeah, and, like, that's fair. (laughs) He's scared to tell him. I would be too, probably. So we cut to Christmas break. Hooray! And the Polyjuice Potion is done. So the trio is enacting their plan against the Draco crew here. They end up knocking out Crab and Goyle. Harry and Ron are changing into Crab and Goyle. And Hermione's planning to change into another Slytherin student. Because the, the whole thing is to make the, the potion work, you have to have a bit of the person that you're turning into. So you got to have a little bit of hair or something. Put it in the mixture. Some skin flakes. Yeah. Ew. Gross. Um <laughs> They all go into Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. They take the potion. It's disgusting. We see Harry's face bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Hermione hides out in the stall for some unknown reason. Wink, wink. The boys go off and meet with Draco. And here's what we learn from that little powwow that they have. Draco's not the heir. No. Uh, He has no idea who it could be. Draco just, you know, talks a whole bunch of shit about Dumbledore and Harry and Hermione. But he does mention that his father told him that 50 years ago, the Chamber of Secrets was opened. A student was expelled and another student died. So after learning this little nugget of information, the boys run back to the bathroom before they change back to themselves. And they find Hermione in the stall And she's changed into a cat because apparently the hair that she retrieved from the Slytherin girl was not human hair, but cat hair. So poor Hermione and the the potion is not meant for human animal transformation. So the poor girl is terrified that she's going to be a cat for the rest of her life. And Ron goes, ha ha, look at your tail. He's an asshole. You fucking piece of shit. She... She's horrified that she's going to be a cat forever. So while Hermione's in the hospital wing being treated for her catism, 
the boys are walking through the hallway and they notice a flood going on in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. And Myrtle tells them that someone threw a book at her. And she got so upset, I guess, that she just like flooded the whole bathroom. <laughs> but Harry picks up the book and it's a diary belonging to Tom Marvolo Riddle. Which, what kind of name is Marvolo? I don't know. He's apparently a student at Hogwarts many, many years ago. So Harry takes the book back to his room and he writes in it and the book writes back to him. And Harry asks the book, basically, do you know anything about the Chamber of Secrets? I can't tell you, but I can show you. And then <laughs> Harry just gets magic school bus sucked into the book <laughs> on an adventure. Uh, he basically gets sucked into a flashback. And in the flashback, Tom Riddle, who is watching as this girl gets carried on a gurney, clearly dead because she has the flopped hand over the gurney so that is essentially the girl who died from the chamber of secrets being opened dumbledore comes up to tom riddle and goes tom do you want to tell me something he's very suspicious of tom it seems and tom is like like harry's like no 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 tom is worried that they're going to close down hogwarts And he's like, oh, I don't have any family to go home to, sir. Hogwarts is my home, much like Harry. And he's like, if someone were to find out who opened the Chamber of Secrets and bring that person to justice, we wouldn't have to close the school, right? And Dumbledore's like, yeah, uh, sure. (laughs) And then lo and behold, Tom leaves that conversation and he goes off to this random room and he opens the door and Hagrid's in there. Tom comes up to Hagrid and goes, a person has died. We have to turn that monster of yours in. And Hagrid's like, it wasn't Aragog. Aragog wouldn't hurt a fly. And then uh, Tom shoots at the case that this creature is in and it is a spider that crawls out and like scurries away before Tom. Big old spider. A big old spider. Before Tom could shoot it, and Hagrid goes to chase after the spider, and Tom points his wand at Hagrid's throat and goes, you're going down for this one, Hagrid. And then Harry gets dragged back through the light into the present. Yeah, he gets sucked back out of the book, and this whole flashback leads Harry to believe that Hagrid is the one that opened the Chamber of Secrets 50 years ago. Which... Even if Harry did believe that. Which I don't think he really does. I think he finds it very suspicious, but it's like the only lead he has. It is, but even if he did believe that, Mm -hmm. why would Hagrid open this chamber now? Right. And also, earlier in the movie, when Hermione is called a a mudblood, and they go to Hagrid's to help Ron with his slugs and whatever, Hagrid has a whole speech with Hermione about how, like, the term mudblood is disgusting and Hermione shouldn't even think about... Because Hermione's one of the greatest wizards ever. Yeah, Hermione shouldn't even give it any credence. It's nonsense. So the idea that Hagrid opened up the chamber and let out this creature that wanted to kill muggle-born wizards is silly. If anything, Harry might have thought that he inadvertently did it because he knows how he is with creatures and stuff. That would make more sense. Right. So if anything, I I don't think Harry really thought that he would have done anything like that intentionally. So later on, as uh, Harry is preparing for a Quidditch match, 
we find out that the game has been canceled and McGonagall goes up to him and he's like, you and Ron Weasley got to come with me. So they go up to the hospital wing and they see Hermione has been petrified and she was holding a hand mirror in her hands when she was found. And the guys are like, I have no idea what the fuck. Holy shit. And it's like, it's sad. I felt really bad. I was like, oh no, their little buddy's gone. But they do mention this more in the book than in the movie. But after Hermione is petrified, the silver lining of it all is that nobody really thinks that Harry's the heir of Slytherin anymore because they know how close he is with Hermione. So they don't think that he did it anymore that they at least address that in the book they don't really address it here but the boys are freaking out they're like okay we have to go talk to Hagrid and figure out what the fuck is going on here so they take the invisibility cloak that night and they go out to Hagrid's little hut and right as they're about to get some information from him about what the fuck's going on they get a knock at the door and they have to hide again in the corner under the cloak and Dumbledore comes in as well as the minister of magic Cornelius Fudge Cornelius says, we have to take Hagrid, because of his past record, to Azkaban prison. And this puzzles me because I'm like, okay, if this man has this record, if Fudge clearly thinks that he is possibly this guy, how do you even let Dumbledore have this ability to keep him on? Because everyone trusts Dumbledore, like, implicitly. So I guess it's, you know. It's just a sketchy, weird thing, you know? No, it is. I get what you're saying. It's questionable. (laughs) But these are not the only two men who come to Hagrid's hut that night. The last man to come and barge into Hagrid's hut is Lucius Malfoy. That scumbag motherfucker. And Lucius delivers a letter to Dumbledore saying, him and the board of directors, says that it's time for Dumbledore to step aside. So Dumbledore's like, all right, fine, I'll step aside. But just know that I will always help anyone at Hogwarts who asks for it. And then he looks directly towards Harry and Ron under the cloak. But they're invisible. But it's like, oh, shit, he can see them. He knows. Dumbledore knows all. (laughs) But what I love about Richard Harris's Dumbledore is just like the subtlety of his performance. He's so calm and reserved. But then you see here and there just a little bit of quirk, a little bit of sass, just like slip through. The way he looks towards the cloak, he's got that look like, bitch, I see you. (laughs) You think you can hide from me? (laughs) That's why I like it because I feel like, A, it is more loyal to the books. And it's just more like of a complex character because there's so many, especially in fantasy there's always that wise old man character that's either somber wise old man who like speaks in fortune cookies or it's wacky and kooky. And I think Richard Harris's Dumbledore has a great balance of that. Yeah, so Dumbledore leaves with Lucius and Fudge is going to take away Hagrid and Hagrid to no one in particular goes, if anybody was looking for something, they just have to follow the spiders ah so they all leave and harry and ron are alone in hagrid's house they notice a little trail of spiders crawling through his house out into the dark forest harry's like all right let's go and ron's like what (laughs) what i love too with this movie is that the ron weasley puberty squeak (laughs) 
<laughs> is prominent many times. He's like, what? <laughs> you can't even understand what he's saying half the time when he does it, but it's just so funny. And he just is trudging into the st- forest, following these spiders behind Harry. And he's like, why spiders? Why couldn't it be follow the butterflies? That was like one of my favorite lines in this movie when I was a kid. Oh my God. <laughs> Harry and Ron go into the forest. They're following the spiders. And eventually they come upon Hagrid's big spider from the flashback. Only now it is even bigger. <laughs> In fact, the character of Aragog, this creature, is a nine foot tall animatronic and is ever so fucking creepy and speaks in a very droning, creepy voice. Aragog is weaving a tail, some oh, might yes. say. So Aragog essentially explains to Harry that Hagrid never opened the Chamber of Secrets and that Aragog is not the monster from the chamber. In fact, Aragog, as well as all his little baby spiders, are deathly afraid of this chamber creature. He doesn't say what the creature is, but he does say that the student that was killed by the creature 50 years ago was discovered in a bathroom. Wink, wink. So after learning this bit of information Harry and Harry discovers that all these spiders are closing in on him and Ron and Aragog's like oh yes my my children cannot attack Hagrid but I can't deny them fresh meat so bye bitch (laughs) and Harry and Ron proceed to be chased around the forest by these crazy spiders but they are saved at the last minute by the flying car the flying car has returned and takes them and they get out of there barely they get out of the car and the car drives back to the forest but the important thing they learn from all this despite the harrowing almost death is that hagrid is innocent which is obviously good news they go to visit hermione in the hospital wing And they're sitting with her, and they find a crumpled up piece of paper in her hand. Which, by the way, how are they only noticing this now? I don't know, Scott. What what do you want me to tell you? But Harry's reading this paper, and it basically explains that Hermione solved the fucking case here. She discovered that the creature is a basilisk, which is basically a big snake. (laughs) That basically, if you look at it straight on in its eyes, you will die. Which explains why none of the students have died, because no one looked it in the eye directly. The cat saw it through the water on the floor. Yes. Colin saw it through his camera. Hermione saw it through her hand mirror. Justin saw it through Nearly Headless Nick. And Nearly Headless Nick is the only one who caught it full blast, but because Nearly Headless Nick is already dead... Yeah, it doesn't matter. He's useless. He's he's pointless. Based on Hermione's research, they figure out that because it's a snake, that's why Harry can hear the voice and it's moving through the pipes, which is why Harry could hear it in the walls. But then the last thing they kind of put two and two together and figure out, Harry's like, remember what Aragog said? The student who died died in the bathroom. What if she died in the bathroom and never left? And Ron's like, oh, moaning Myrtle. That makes sense. Let's go see her. But then... Right before they can go do that, they hear an announcement for the students to go to their dormitories and for the teachers all to go to the second floor corridor immediately. So what do Ron and Harry, both students, what do they do? They go to the second floor (laughs) corridor. Of course they do. (laughs) Because they're habitual line steppers. That's true. 
they hide around the corner and watch as the teachers are discussing this message on the wall saying that a student has been taken in the chamber and her skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. And they find out that it's Ginny Weasley. <gasps> and uh, Gilderoy Lockhart is enlisted by the other teachers to fight this monster. And the teachers are all skeptically like, oh, yes, Gilderoy, please save the day. Oh, please. So Lockhart goes off to his office. He's like, oh, of course, I'm going to go prepare to fight this beast. And the boys decide to go to Lockhart and, like, give him the information they have so far so to help him so he can fight the monster. But Gilderoy is packing his bags. Yeah, he's, he's trying to flee. And they find out he's a phony. Hey, this guy's a great big phony. Basically, Gilderoy, uh, over the years, has found other wizards that have done miraculous things with magic and zapped their memory using a memory charm taken on the story as his own so he could bolster his own ego and his own celebrity and he's basically made up a whole bullshit life for himself he's about to fucking zap ron and harry's memories but uh they hold their wands on him it's like don't even think about it bitch <laughs> you're coming with us so they take lockhart to moaning myrtle's bathroom and they talk to her about like how she died and she tells them i was literally hiding crying in the bathroom as you do as a teenage girl in, in high school or whatever I, and i heard voices outside i opened the door and i died that was it i saw two big yellow eyes by the sink and i died so they go over to the sink and Harry sees like this snake emblem on the sink. Which, by the way, what? how in the blue hell does no one go into this bathroom when this girl dies? Well, that's, and- yes. Continue that statement. <laughs> and how does it- they go into the bathroom when this girl dies and not see a clear as day snake emblem and not think, hmm, that could be lead us to the Chamber of Secrets. It's not even just that, though. It's the fact that, okay, after this girl died, I don't know how long it took for her ghost to pop up in the school, but eventually they figured out that this girl's ghost is here. So, like, you didn't, no one thought to go up and ask her about how she died until fucking Harry Potter? Really? <laughs> like, no one thought to ask her how you died, what happened, and then they could have figured it out years ago. So Harry goes up to the sink and he speaks a little bit of parcel tongue and the sink kind of opens up and reveals this big pit yes, he <laughs> in says, the middle of the bathroom. But you figure if they found this pit beforehand, they could just fill it with cement. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, just magic it shut or destroy it somehow. Yeah. And all they had to do was go into the fucking bathroom and talk to Moaning Myrtle for five minutes. I get it. She's really annoying. But, like, it literally took five minutes. <laughs> or just look at the murder scene. Anyone could have walked into the bathroom and killed her. That's not... Yeah, but you, if you look at the... You're supposed to take pictures of the murder scene. This you... isn't CSI. <laughs> CSI Hogwarts. So they go into the chamber... And in the shuffle of everything, Lockhart grabs Ron's wand. Remember, Ron's wand is all fucked up, so this is, this isn't going to be good, guys. He holds Ron's wand up to the kids, and he's like, I'm going to fuck up your memories. And he's about to do it. He says the spell, and then it backfires again onto him and knocks him back. He hits the wall, and a big old rock avalanche comes down and 
a rock wall separates Harry from Ron and Gilderoy. Of course. He's a lone wolf, that Harry Potter. Well, that's pretty much how every movie goes. It's like, you know, Harry Potter has his friends and he loves his friends and friendship is a big part of this franchise. But eventually Harry always has to face the last leg of the adventure by himself. That's usually how it goes. So Gilderoy's memory's fucked. Ron knocks him out with a rock (laughs) because he's fucking weird and annoying. And then Harry just goes off and he's like, I'm going to go find Ginny. So he goes into the chamber and he finds Ginny unconscious. And standing over her body is Tom Riddle. He's basically a memory that has been preserved in this diary but is slowly gaining power, we find out, from Ginny. Tom Riddle reveals that Ginny is the one that opened the Chamber of Secrets and has done all this stuff at Tom's behest because he's basically been using the diary to control her mind. Right. And basically feed off of her soul. So as Ginny gets weaker and weaker, Tom gets stronger and stronger. Tom actually ends up taking Harry's wand because he dropped it and he's like holding it to Harry and he's like, oh, you won't be needing this. (laughs) So Tom reveals all of this evil shit to him. Uh, he reveals that Ginny's the one that tried to chuck the fucking book in the bathroom. And Tom's like, my only question is I wanted to speak to you because I need to know how you defeated Lord Voldemort, the greatest wizard to ever exist. And Harry goes, why do you give a shit? And then he slowly but surely reveals himself to be Lord Voldemort. How he does it is kind of silly yeah it's silly in the book it was silly in this it's silly he basically takes harry's wand and spells out his his full name full name tom marvolo riddle and he swooshes the letters around and tom marvolo riddle is an anagram for i am lord voldemort by the way what is with characters who are supposed to have like these big huge like things like voldemort neo they're both named tom yeah, that is kind of funny. <laughs> but in the first movie when Voldemort is revealed, he's just a fucking like sickly gross growth on the back of some fucking guy's head. Like you don't picture him as being an actual person at one time, like a human being, but he was. You don't you don't picture Tom. Right. Well, exactly. But Tom Riddle is the heir of Slytherin. He is Voldemort and Tom explains that he framed Hagrid for opening the Chamber of Secrets 50 years ago and only Dumbledore suspected him of anything nefarious. And he starts talking shit about Dumbledore and Harry defends him. Albus Dumbledore is the greatest sorcerer in the world. Dumbledore's been driven out of this castle by the mere memory of me. He'll never be gone. Not as long as those who remain are loyal to him. As soon as he says that, you hear a and Dumbledore's majestic, beautiful phoenix fox comes swooping into the chamber, holding the sorting hat in his little clutches. And he drops the sorting hat into Harry's hands and flies away. And Tom is like, he calls upon the basilisk. Yes. And uh, it's a big, scary old CGI snake. <laughs> Um, but this actually is one of the only CGI situations that doesn't look bad. Yeah, it, it does. It, it actually... I think because it's so big and it's not exactly like the most detailed thing. But uh, yeah, he calls the snake. 
and he starts chasing after Harry, but before he can uh, really get at him, Fox comes back in and pecks out the basilisk's eyes. But Tom is like, he may not be able to see you, but he could still hear you. So then Harry starts running through the chamber. And what's crazy about the Chamber of Secrets, it is by far the biggest set that was created for this franchise. It's a 250 foot long, 120 foot wide set and it's it looks really cool it definitely lends to the darker tone of the movie overall and it's crazy that they built this huge set for this one movie and it doesn't come back and think until the last movie yeah you figure yeah you'd be able to use it again there's like one scene i think in the last movie with the chamber in it and that's it yeah that sucks so it's like it's crazy but it i mean it's definitely a cool set piece and harry basically has like a little cat mouse game with this basilisk but then it, at like the final moment where he's really facing the basilisk, Harry looks over at the sorting hat and sees a little sword sticking out of it. He grabs it, pulls it out, and starts fighting the basilisk. He ends up stabbing it, but getting nicked by the poisonous fang of the basilisk yeah, on the, the way down. Well, the poisonous fang gets stuck in his arm. Yeah. And uh, the basilisk falls. The basilisk, the basilisk is defeated. And Harry... Is starting to feel the effects of the poison as he's carrying the fang. Yeah, he he carries it over to Ginny because he just wants to try and help her still. But Tom is standing over them and just, you know, monologuing evilly as you do. And Harry has this little clever idea. He's like, hmm, let's see. You say that the the diary gives you life you say your memory is preserved in the diary i have this poisonous fang here you see so i'm just gonna take this diary of yours and stab it a million times and of course it works and tom starts going (laughs) yes it's it's a pretty cool scene he explodes and says bye-bye and Ginny immediately wakes up as harry is dying yeah he tells Ginny to get out while she still can and just as he's saying that, Fox comes back and sits by Harry and he's like, Hello, Harry. I'm here to save you. Let me cry a few tears for you and drip my tears on your wounds. So um, Fox, in his last bit of heroism and awesomeness, he grabs Ginny and Harry, swoops back to get Ron and Gilderoy, and he carries all of them up out of the chamber into safety. As Gilderoy says, it's like it's magic. Oh my god, it's amazing. <laughs> Fucking Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> so now the the day is saved. They're in Dumbledore's office because Dumbledore is back. Apparently when the board found out that Arthur Weasley's daughter had been taken into the chamber, all the people on the board wanted Dumbledore back in the school immediately and they revealed that um, Lucius Malfoy threatened them with various evil doings if they didn't follow along with what he wanted getting Dumbledore out so that's a little bit nefarious Dumbledore says to him again he's like is there anything you want to talk to me about you seem troubled and Harry's like you know he learned his lesson he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the truth so I've been really worried because I feel like Tom Riddle and I had a lot of similarities and Dumbledore reveals that when Harry was a baby and Voldemort attacked Harry and gave him his lightning scar he inadvertently transferred some of his power into Harry 
we find out later it's a little more complicated than that but for now that's enough (laughs) so harry's like oh so then maybe i should have been put in slytherin and dumbledore explains to him like no the sorting hat put you in gryffindor because you asked to be put there and that's really the point of this whole thing is that it is not our abilities that show what we truly are it is our choices and that i think is a great lesson it is a great lesson but he also reveals that the sword that harry pulled out of the sorting hat while he was in the chamber was the sword of godric gryffindor and he's like if you need any proof that you belong in gryffindor there it is and it was like a really cool moment only a true gryffindor would have pulled the sword it's just, it feels like Daniel Radcliffe played this really well, I think, because it just you can feel it in that moment that he accepts it like, OK, I'm where I belong. And it just it feels all warm and fuzzy inside. It does. But who comes bursting into the room, Frankie? Oh, God, this blonde bitch. <laughs> Lucius Malfoy, followed by Dobby. <gasps> Dobby? You mean the Malfoys are your family? What a shock. Lucius is pissed that Dumbledore's back. But Dumbledore explains, oh, yes, this whole nefarious thing happened because of Voldemort. He was working through someone else by means of this diary here. And you can see by the look on Lucius's face that um, he's quite guilty, I dare say. It's really hammered home by Dobby nudging Harry and pointing at the diary like, (laughs) like, so essentially what had happened was when they were in the bookstore back in the beginning of the movie, Lucius slipped the diary into Ginny Weasley's cauldron. And that's how she got a hold of it. Yeah. Because Lucius, it's mentioned at some point, either in this movie or the first one, I don't remember, but Lucius Malfoy was working with Voldemort when he was in power. Yeah. But when Voldemort disappeared, he, you know, feigned that he was under a spell or whatever. And he was forgiven, apparently. But, like, everyone kind of... There's rumors that, like, he really still is very much into Voldemort. And this kind of proves that, obviously. Uh, It's also really great, because I do want to point out the lighting here. The only thing that's lit when they cut to Lucius is his eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. The rest of him is kept in shadow, but his eyes are lit. Jason Isaacs does really well expressing everything he needs to express with just his eyes. Yes. His performance, I think, as far as his franchise goes, is very underrated. Like, everyone talks about Dumbledore and obviously the main trio. And I think his performance especially in this movie is really just top fucking notch and there's this one moment that was actually improvised by daniel radcliffe and jason isaacs it's one of the really coolest lines in the movie lucius turns to harry and he goes let us hope mr potter will always be around to save the day and harry goes don't worry i will be And you just, oh, you just feel like the epicness of the moment. And it even pans to Dumbledore when he says it. And Dumbledore's like smirking a little bit. It's just so fucking good. Oh. Yeah, so Lucius storms out. Harry goes to Dumbledore and goes, hey, can I borrow that book? Yeah, I'm going to go return it to its rightful owner, you know. So he goes out, gives the book back to... Lucius and he throws it to Dobby and Harry whispers over to him like open the book open it (laughs) 
And Dobby opens it, and lo and behold, there's a sock, a lonely sock inside. Master has presented Dobby with clothes. Dobby is free. It's the best fucking moment. <laughs> and Lucius, Lucius is going to kill Harry here. Oh, yeah, because... Harry clearly shows that he's missing a sock. So he's like, ha ha, sucks for you. And Lucius is like, you lost me, my servant. And later on, you learn about uh, a specific spell called the killing curse. And the spell is done by saying Avada Kedavra. So in this moment, Lucius takes out his wand and holds it at Harry. And Dobby's standing in front of him. He's going to protect him. So don't you worry. But... Lucius holds the wand to Harry and he goes, Avada! <laughs> like he's gonna kill this child in the middle of the school. And, and I'm like, dude, what the fuck? People are gonna know this. Do you think and this not, is a and, good idea? And not just a random child. You're gonna kill Harry Potter. Like you have the temerity, the unmitigated gall to try and kill a child. A famous child. No, I don't, well, it doesn't matter that he's famous. He's a child. But like, you don't think people would know that, like... I think people would notice if they killed any child. <laughs> well, yes, true. But if he killed Colin Creary... Creevy. Creevy, whatever. It doesn't matter. He's not important. If he killed Colin Creevy... Oh my God, you're so mean. <laughs> He's a child. <laughs> He's just a kid, Scott, okay? But uh, Dobby, of course, being the fucking badass motherfucker that he is, because he's a free elf now, bitch, he fucking zaps Lucius back and saves Harry once again. I always thought in this moment, Lucius looked like a little bratty, like, teen mean girl, because he, like, flips his blonde hair around, like, very snappy. He's like, mock my words, Potter. You'll meet a sticky end. (laughs) Dobby is free. Hooray, hurrah. We cut to the Great Hall and all of the kids who've been petrified have been healed. Hermione runs into Harry's arms and hugs him. She goes to hug Ron, but they have like an awkward almost hug and then they shake hands and it's like, ooh, we're getting the first little inkling of they're awkward and they kind of like each other. (laughs) Then we get our final moment of the film where Hagrid has returned from Azkaban and he is greeted with a slow clap. Everyone's very happy to see him. It's funny because it's treated very brightly and lovely and that's all well and good but Hagrid has spent at least the past few days in Azkaban prison and at this point We only know it as a prison. Like, we don't really know how bad Azkaban prison is. But in the next movie, we're going to learn about Azkaban. And when you do, you kind of realize, like, oh, shit. (laughs) Hagrid was in that place with all of that going on. Oh, God. And he's just, he comes back so bright and cheery. It's like a very stark contrast. Yeah. But it kind of shows the sometimes weird progression of the darkness of this franchise. It's just weird to think about when you realize what Azkaban really is, that Hagrid was sitting in Azkaban being tortured by Dementors. <laughs> but um, we don't need to think about that right now because Hagrid's back and we're clapping and everything is wonderful. Yeah, that was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Yes, a good way to start off our sequel month. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I think it was pretty loyal to the books, much like Sorcerer's Stone. 
I also find this movie very interesting technically with its mix of practical and CGI. Overall, it was very well done, even though the CGI a lot of times is questionable. You have to take into account that it's 2002. <laughs> that is very true. I, I, I do think it's definitely pretty good. This definitely feels uh, a little more fast-paced than the first one, but I do think we also go a little overboard with the foreshadowing. This this definitely felt like a hammer to the head of foreshadowing. Yeah, but then again, it's still we're still working in kid movie land. So so we have to blatantly smack the kid in the face so they understand. Well, I'm saying that's why I think it was done that way. But I gave this a five out of five. I love this movie. I think I like this one better than the first one, though. I I gave this one a four out of five. Uh, it's close for me. The first and second one. I just one. think I think because this movie is two hours and forty one minutes long, and it does not feel like that at all. No. And I think that along with the world and like the things they introduce, the characters, the acting, the great pacing. The mystery element, I, I really like this one a lot, and I think it's more engaging probably than the first one. Yeah, I, I definitely give you that. They've grown up, they've gotten a bit better as actors. And then the next Harry Potter movie is my favorite one. So that'll be fun when we do that next month. <laughs> that shall be interesting. But next week, we're going to be watching another sequel. This particular sequel is going to be very interesting because the original movie... We already have watched on this show and it drove me fucking insane. <laughs> so this is going to be horrible. Yeah, this is also a sequel that I don't remember as fondly as I remembered the original. So Great. It should be interesting. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. And I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at ShootTheFlick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our gruesome twosome movie adventure. Get ready, because here we come. And I'm